Hello, my beautiful Women Inc. listeners. Welcome back. So ecstatic to bring you this week's guest, Madison Uttendahl. Madison is the founder of Uttendahl Creative, the all-female, Black-owned, anti-trend branding and design agency behind cutting-edge brands like Simon Huck's Judy, Halsley's About Face, Lena Denham's Good Thing Going. She is a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient of Class 2021 and a two-time Webby Award winner. Madison has been on the founding teams of cultural phenomenons like Last Week Tonight, with John Oliver, Refinery 29, 29 Rooms, and Museum of Ice Cream. While the experience of being behind the massive cultural successes led to a specialty and expertise in emotional brand storytelling, it also led to burnout. We can all relate. Since then, she not only discovered the power of authenticity and self-worth within the workplace on an individual level, but is fundamentally changing the way creatives work via leadership and policy at her agency. I love when we dive into this. Madison has been invited to speak at Inbound, VidCon, Yelp's Women in Business Summit, and many more. When Madison is not being a boss at Undell Creative, she can be found as an on-camera video host and creator of two Instagram original series, The Elephant and and her name is. I loved this conversation with Madison. She is so insightful, so brilliant. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Now let's get over to my conversation with Madison. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Madison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited. Thank you for having you. me. Likewise, likewise. Okay, so you've done a lot of cool things. I feel like before we even get into your company, we need to go through all of your different jobs, which I'm very intrigued. I have in particular, I'm like dying to know about John Oliver because I love last week tonight. Yes. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started in your career, what you were doing and rewind it back a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I mean, it's so funny you say that in terms of like the many different like career paths and jobs, because I really have. I like I'm a big believer that I believe in two things. One is like leave anything and everything at like the height when you're at like momentum. And also that like two or three years, especially when you're in your 20s, is the amount of time you should give yourself to explore if something's right for you. And we've, I think, gone are the days of our parents' generation, which is like, stay in the same job for a decade before you figure out if it's right for you. Your 20s are all about like failing and not having it right and not knowing who you are. So like keep keep exploring. So I took my 20s. I'm 30 now. And I took my 20s to just like explore. Um, but yeah, I started my career in film and television. I uh, After graduating from college, I thought I wanted to be a producer. I thought I was going to be in development. I spent my time doing 
uh, a lot of development work and and reading scripts, and working for production companies. And then as I you know progressed in that career, I realized, hmm, is it TV I want to be in, or do I really connect deeply with being a storyteller? And that sort of that pivot and clarity that I had around like 23 allow, has allowed me to sort of move into different mediums, but still with the same root of identifying as a storyteller. That's so good. I'm 32 and I feel you. That's That shift yeah. has happened for me as well. Um, that's good advice. The two-year thing. Unless you work for me and you're listening to this, please don't. Oh, right, right. Totally. I feel you. That's the exception. Oh, no, that's good though. I love the leaving at the height of your career or wherever you are. Because I think that's generally where people get comfortable. And it's really good advice. Okay. So quickly, I just need to touch on John Oliver, like I said, because I, my boyfriend and I watch it and we're like the amount of research that goes into the show. Can you just give us like, I want behind the scenes of how much work goes into that. So much work. I I mean, again, I was, when I was a part of the team, I joined when it was like basically called the John Oliver show. I mean, it didn't really have a name. This was like when he was fresh off of being a correspondent on the daily show. And so it has evolved massively from when I was there. I was in there for season one and season two. But I would imagine from the time that I was there to now, the origin and the the way that the research is done, I imagine it has is the same. But when I was there in those first two seasons, the research team was composed of former journalists and researchers from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, LA Times. I mean, literally the best, the Herald, like anything, any top publication um, from a journalistic standards perspective around the world, those were the people researching and actually doing the deep dive to figure out the crux of the story narrative that John wanted to tell. So that is why the show is so brilliant as much as it is funny, is that the facts and data that are informing the comedy are coming from people who previously have had to do it on with such high journalistic standards and codes attached to the what they were finding, right? So like they're they're the best of the best. They're the most diligent people out there when it comes to finding the truth. Oh my god, the best. Like they should freelance and find like if someone's like is my boyfriend cheating on me? I feel like they would know yeah. it. <laughs> right, they could figure they could figure it out. They, they would find. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay, so I want to get more into you as a storyteller because I know you worked for Refinery29, doing 29 rooms. You've won a few Webbies, which is incredible. How do you think you've evolved as a storyteller and what about storytelling really lights you up? Yeah, great questions. Great questions. How have I evolved as a storyteller? I think I'm still evolving as a storyteller. Um, One of the biggest probably shifts that have happened for me throughout my career in storytelling has been releasing the need for a review of the story I'm telling, of the like expectations of the commentary of the opinions of others, right? Because like by nature, you are putting forth your work into the world and expecting a response of some form. And when I was younger, I was more on a search to find validation in my storytelling. Did other people think it was good? Did they think it was interesting? Did it hit with them emotionally? And now I've like, I'm evolving and have evolved and will forever evolve into releasing my stories into the world and having or trying to have very little concern about what people think of them. 
right? Because that becomes, in my opinion, the biggest difference between like good work and great work is that work stays good as long as you're like concerned about other people's opinions. Work becomes great once you've released any sort of judgment and expectation of what someone else thinks about what you do. Oh, that's how yes. find that, that's the, and it's an ongoing process. Like people are like, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't, let's like stop. <laughs> and like, as if things are final, right? Like I don't, I, it's not final for anyone. None of us have it figured out. Like we have times in our lives where we have shit more figured out, but like we're still yes. figuring it out. Yes. Every day by the hour. (laughs) Totally. totally, totally. (sighs) Yeah. I think that's really powerful. I also think, well, let's get into you and your agency. And the, what I was initially thinking is that's really powerful. And then also, how do you do that when you have clients? How do you release that pressure on yourself? Yeah. I think it's easier when you have clients though. I I actually Yeah, no, I think it's easy for me personally. I have found it's easier to hide behind the work, my clients work, because if people think the work is bad, it's on the client, right? Mm. Well, it's not Madison, right? I don't sign a signature to the stories I tell if it's attached to another company. And so I actually have been, I've been moving away from the immediacy of getting or ne- like being trying to learn what someone thinks about the client work because I'm realizing that's just a mask for me to not actually tell my own stories and be authentic to myself. It, for people who, if you're if you're concerned about your client's reaction to you and treatment of you, right? Because I know that's a lot of people's fears, right? Is that if if the work is considered good or bad, it's not so much about what the public thinks, but how their client's going to talk to them in return. I say, fuck that client. If you're concerned about yeah. anyone treat terribly because you put something out into the world that didn't perform as they expected, then they fundamentally don't understand. Like that is the nature of marketing. That is the nature of storytelling. Like it's all about timing. It's all about time and place. It's very little to do with our ability to control it. And that's what creativity is, right? Like how many amazing books and albums come out that like don't make it, but they're still great. Yes. And they're still amazing books and amazing movies and amazing songs. But like for whatever reason, they didn't get the visibility. It should have doesn't mean it wasn't good. Yes. Every time I'm watching a stupid reality TV show, I'm like, I should be reading a book because I could not, I can't read all of the books in the world that are amazing. You know, it it overwhelms me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Running a branding agency, what do you think is something that you've learned as you've gone through this process of really communicating well and managing expectations with clients? I've learned that sometimes you have to ask more obvious or ask... I often say to my clients, like, are we in agreement? Mm. And it's something that I've learned is a really powerful tool in communication Because you might think you're in agreement with a client and you might think you've heard the same thing. But if you have not like actually identified face to face, like through the Zoom, whatever, through email, like we are in agreement that this is how this is going to go forth, then it's how things get lost in translation. I'm all about let's eliminate this getting lost in translation. How can we be as transparent and clear as possible? And how can I how can I be more vulnerable so I establish a more personal relationship with my client where we can be honest with each other so that both parties leave healthy and happy and satisfied with the work that's been put forth? Like this whole idea of being perfect for a client, I've I've let go of that immensely when it comes to communication. 
Um, because then I think if you, if you create that expectation of perfection and then you have a human moment, it's hard for your client to give you the benefit of the doubt if you need it. Yeah. You do. That's such an empowering state to be in. It's just Trying. real. It's just honest. <laughs> yeah, you know, it started, I, honestly, I give all of the credit to uh, my lawyer, actually. Yes. I am um, about like a year and a half, no, longer than that. Two, two, a little, two years ago, I went through a, a really uh, intense breakup in the thick of COVID and I messed up a contract. I sent over a contract to a client and I didn't take out a couple of clauses that I should have. And I really also messed up an opportunity for the photographer. It was, a, it was, I basically forgot to cross out the client asked for rights to her content in perpetuity, something crazy, something like in perpetuity. And when I saw the agreement and I had signed and sent it in, I realized I had made a huge mistake. So I reached out to my lawyer and I was just so distressed. And I was at the time so deeply heartbroken that I was just not thinking straight. And I was like, what do I tell the client? I fucked up, blah, blah, blah. And my lawyer was like, I think you should just be brutally honest with them. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, I think you should tell them that you are going through a breakup and you're not thinking straight and that you made a huge mistake. And if they would mind if you actually sent over the correct contract. And I remember being like, you're nuts. What are you talking about? Telling my client, one of my highest paying clients, that I'm going through a breakup and I don't have my shit together. And that's what I <laughs> And she was like, do what you want. But I think this is the time when you like have to be human. And so I emailed them and I was like verbatim, as she suggested, like, I'm going through a heartbreak. I am not thinking clearly. I moved too fast on this. And I really don't want to mess up the opportunity for this photographer for her career. And I feel like this falls on me and I, I need to be honest with you. And the client was like, I've, she was like, oh my God, I've totally been there. Like, oh. no, send over the revised contract. And it's it's changed everything for me. No, it doesn't mean like you got you show up in Zoom calls in sweatpants. You're like, I'm really tired. I went out. Like they don't. Like, I'm not talking like that yes. level. You're like I'm super hungover. <laughs> yeah, like there's still a line. But I think that like having more of that in business, yes, is just is so important. It's I mean like I don't thankfully have not made a mistake like that since, and hopefully never will. But the key to that being a good situation versus a disastrous situation was literally me being deeply honest about how I got there in the first place. Like, like that. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I think we could end the interview here. That was like life changing, <laughs> seriously life changing advice. And it took, I'm still learning that of just yeah, people so really do meet you though in your honesty. Like, people understand. So yeah. 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 Okay. So when you are looking for a client, what is something you look for? What are your musts? And have you come up with anything new that's like, oh, I didn't realize that this is important, but I do need this in a good client? Yeah. I I look for... Well, there's two things. Because of the nature of our work is branding and design, um, I really believe that for us to do our best work, the client needs to have at least like a baseline elementary understanding of what creative work is. And that seems like that would be obvious, but like there's a ton of industries where people don't have exposure to any form of creative work. And so... Uh, sometimes I actually find that the clients who have no foundation in creative work at all are usually the most challenging to work with because there is a disconnect between what we are doing and what they think we should be doing versus what they know we should be doing. 
Um, so we look for, has this person, I mean, does this person have any understanding of this industry at all? And from a design or branding perspective, and again, it can be elementary. Like, I just want to know you've like, at least reviewed a newsletter newsletter before it was approved. Do you know what I mean? Or like, (laughs) notice what a designed asset is on social or like, can tell me (laughs) a a logo that you're, you admire, right? Like literally that sometimes we've asked clients, like, what are your favorite logos out there? And if they can't give an answer, then I'm like, it's just, it's just not going to work. It's going to be too much of an educational curve for us to be able to get good work done. So what is their baseline understanding of the industry? And honestly, like, how much do they trust their own team? I think we, when when a client doesn't trust their team or they need to be in the room and they need to rep- look at every single thing and meet with you and their micromanagers, I don't believe that's conducive to good creative work. Creative work requires big thinking, requires trust, requires the opportunity to explore and go in different directions. And if there's an inherent distrust between what they think we're capable of doing or what they think their team is capable of doing... It's most likely not a good culture fit for us. Um, And culture fits for me are everything. Are we aligned with values? I once had a client say uh, that they, they don't give people the opportunity to move to the second round of an interview if during the first round they ask about their vacation policy. And I remember being like, when he was telling me that, I was like, you and I are not going to work well together. We're not the same. Yeah. I was like, who cares if they ask about their vacation? They should ask about their vacation policy. They should. Of course. But he fundamentally like did not really believe in the value of time off. And so I was like, okay, if you fundamentally don't think it's a good idea for people to take time off, then you expect people who work for you to work 100% of the time, which is then going to be expectation of me and my team. Yes. So we're not values aligned. It's not going to be the right fit. That's really important too. I, I've owned a fashion agency before and it was really hard in the beginning when you're just trying to pay your bills oh, to be like, yeah. sorry, Please, no, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. take your money. You're like, I need that. But it doesn't... I, I remember the first time I said no and it was a lot of money and I like could have used that money. And I was just like, I have to trust my instincts. I have to trust my gut. And I swear like my dream client came shortly after. And I do believe that happens when you say no to what's not meant for you. Yeah, it's so, so true. And I really, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you completely. You know, saying no is also a privilege. I realized that because like, I totally get it. In the first year of this business, I was like, Anyone and everyone, I'll design your logos for three dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It was just like I'll take any client that was interested to build that portfolio to show that I had the capabilities and that this was a real company. And then when you get to the point where you can start saying no, like that's immense privilege. It's it immense. Is. Realize, like, wow, like that means you're doing good. And so when Pete, when I, that's like something I think about often, I'm like, if you have the power to say no. You're actually in a much better spot than you may realize. Yeah, you're in a good place. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to building your team, how do you feel like you've developed as a leader? And when you're really small in the beginning, I feel like it's easier because it's like, oh, it's one or two. And then it gets bigger and you're like, oh, I have to really like run a company. How do you feel you've developed and you've grown as a leader that's managing your company and your entire team? I mean, a lesson I've had to learn is like hire slow and fire fast when it comes to managing people and building a team. 
um, really getting to know people and how, not just how they work, but who they are before you hire them. Because I think that really ties into the success of a team. Does everyone get along? Or is this a like-minded team? And when I say like-minded, I don't mean like everyone has to be from the same place or have the same backgrounds or have the same religion. No, we have people from every religion you can think of, every background, every socioeconomic, like completely wide range of perspectives. But do we as people all get along? Because management of team is, is about you're managing personalities as much as you are the work. And when you sacrifice one or the other, you're, you're, you're going to run into problems. If you sacrifice the quality of the work because you're too preoccupied in making sure everyone gets along or the other way around, no one gets along, but everyone does good work, it, you're going to end up with a company that's not really fulfilling to anyone involved. So when I think about team management, I try to have that 50-50 balance of like, are we all happy, healthy, sound? Are we all producing good work? And are we meeting each other at the same on the same playing field at the same level? But managing, I think managing people and leadership and management leadership management overall is like we completely underestimate how taxing it is for the person doing the management. Yeah. <laughs> so like I saw this tweet uh, that my friend Olavide posted and she was like, uh, check on your founder's mental health, check on your like senior leaders, mental health, check on your management directors. You're the people who are managing other people. Like we forget about them and their mental health. Because it's a lot of work. It's really yes. hard. You absorb so much of other people's existence. So it's an ongoing le- j- uh, journey and lesson for me every day. I'm like, okay, learn something new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's hard. And it's it can be quite lonely, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It can be super lonely. Yeah. And, and it's, especially if you're an empath, which I am, and it sounds like you are too, like you really do want the best for everyone, right? And so- Always. 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 And sometimes at the expense of your own well-being. And that's dangerous. But I've done that before many times. And yeah. finding that balance is is uh, is tough. But when you strike it, it's, it's empowering. Yes. So something that you have multiple places is the anti-trendy. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. How do you not follow trends as a marketer, as a as a branding expert? Yeah. And when you're not following trends, what's inspiring you? Yeah. So I pers- I mean, trends are fleeting mm-hmm. and they don't, they're impermanent. They they will come back, right? I do believe that tre- trends are, are gen like they genuinely operate on a cycle. I mean, I see people now wearing things that I wore 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't throw that away. <laughs> like I'm, It's back again. Um, yeah. But we say anti-trend because it, as I was, they're fleeting and also they're unoriginal. So if you, I never have been able to understand how someone can look at something and choose to replicate it. That has never actually been how I've operated. And perhaps it's because I've spent a lot of my youth in spaces being feeling like I was the only one who had the interests that I had or looked the way that I did. And so never really felt like I fit in when I was younger based upon where I went to school and my upbringing. So I've always turned away from the trend. And you find that when you actually turn from the crowd, like I always say that, like if you're at a concert and you see everyone look at the stage and you turn around, it's really interesting to Mm. see all the different people and what they're wearing and who's singing along and who's not. I mean, it's just so fascinating to look in the other direction. And so for us, we see brands that are similar 
that are following the same trends that are just really copycat and imitating one another, we go the opposite. We literally create matrices that are like, what is the opposite of this trend visually, the opposite of this font, the opposite of this color, in order to ensure that we're creating a product in the world that is contributing in a new and innovative way. Love that. That's, yeah. That is very inspiring. I'm glad you're it's inspiring. That's really flattering. It's also just it like is. kind of our as the team. Like all of us have been like rebels and misfits. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bunch of like a bunch of rebellious women who have really gone forth and been like, hey, I'm gonna do things differently and do it my own way. And so it feels very natural for us as a team to operate under that lens. But I think it's also genuinely like, I just, I just don't understand it. Like, I don't understand people following trends. I think it's easier. Yes. That's a good point. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's easier to see what's in front of you, but I love the idea of looking the other way. Yeah. And it made me think if we have these people that come and show us like, this is the Pantone color of the year. And like, we go, I, I sit in a lot of meetings like that. And I do think sometimes like, I wonder how many times this meeting is going on this year. And like everyone changing things because someone decided this is the color of the year. But I love the idea of you're picking like the contrary color. The contrast, (laughs) like what's the opposite of that color? (laughs) The opposite. (laughs) So good. So as a founder, we kind of touched on this, but I really believe it's so imperative to have time for yourself and to unwind. How do you use that time and what are some practices that have helped you in becoming a founder who can kind of unplug and come back to yourself? I love that question. That's great. Thank you for asking that. I am religious about putting my phone on airplane mode at night and not turning it off airplane mode in the morning until after I've done my routine. I'm a really, really, really big believer in that. I'm a big believer in taking time off and disconnecting. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to Fiji. That means like four day weekends at home, they do a lot for us if we disconnect. And so I think we think of personal peace and especially as a founder, I I really think it's an American thing that we, we believe that time off requires some big fancy trip far away. And most of the time that feels cost prohibitive for people. They're like, I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the support system at home to be able to leave for that amount of time. And so then they don't take time off and they don't take vacation because what that means to them is so grandiose. And so I'm a big believer that like, as a founder, we must prioritize our own personal peace. And it doesn't just mean taking a month off in the summer and going to Italy. But like, how are you spending your Friday night? Like, are you having a present dinner conversation with your partner or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your sister, friend, and putting your phone away on that can be incredibly restorative if you choose to be present with that person. And so what are these micro moments? I'm like trying to constantly find micro moments of peace. And I had to learn that the hard way because I really have made the mistake before as a founder of not doing that and then burning the hell out which I think most of us as founders have done, right? The overextension of self for the business. And then you realize it's a double-edged sword. You extend yourself too much, the business can't function. Yes. And I love, I read that you delete your Instagram app from your phone Monday through Friday. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. I love I, that. I, I, um, I just, if I want to check it, it's on my laptop. So you're limited yeah. on what you do. But the, it takes, I, I was just reading um, Tiny Habits. And yeah, he talks about this, like make, create tension with the habits that you want to get rid of. So the more resistance you create, 
Interesting. The yeah. Easier yeah. it is, or else it's just easy. It's like, oh, I want cookies and they're in my pantry. So it's kind right. of like that reminded me of that. It might still be available, but it's not as easy to access. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Right. Like put the cookies at your neighbor's house. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Bring them a care package. Put on a coat, ring the doorbell. You probably <laughs> over there. It's your problem now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And on top of that, I know you have a five-week mandatory company-wide out of the office, which is amazing. Can you tell us a bit about how you decided to do that and the impact it's had? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Americans, American culture and society takes the least amount of time off out of any first world country. And we are at, if you look at GDP and socioeconomics, the average American actually has more disposable income to do something than most other countries in the world. And we don't do anything. Like we don't, people don't take vacation. They uh, work themselves to death, literally, in this country. And granted, there are companies that do only offer seven days, seven days for the whole year, and that's horrific. And I hope they reevaluate their standards. But the majority of companies actually do offer a standard of at least two weeks or twenty-one days. And despite all of that and all the research and education I've done, I felt that there was an opportunity to run an experiment of like, okay, if if I have a company that's a majority American-born team. And even if I present them with unlimited vacation, all the studies show that like they won't take time off. And they weren't. Even though I'm like, I'm the boss who's like, no. go to happy hour, get out of the office. You know, I'm like, totally, totally encouraging the team to enjoy themselves and be young and in New York City or, you know, and yes. live their life. I'm a boss that I am. I drive them crazy. because so I'm like, go party. And they're like, oh my yes. God. You're going to have a lot of higher requests after this. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, so I, I realized like if we look at all those studies and those statistics, if I look at that, a large percentage of my team is American. Not all. There's, I would say, a, a quarter of my team is not American. We're still not. If we're still not taking time off, despite the fact you have unlimited vacation and you're being encouraged to, what is it? How do I get my team to actually reset and recharge? Because structurally and societally, like we're all wired. If you're born in this country, to not do that, right? Unlike if you're European, where like everyone knows August is off. And so the experiment was like, okay, we're going to have mandatory time. If you guys aren't going to take it and me encouraging it and giving you unlimited PTO and all that stuff isn't incentivizing you, then like, what does it mean to just close the office entirely? I'm off and everyone's off. And so we ran the experiment this year and it's been transformative for us as a business, for people's mental health. We closed the office for two weeks over in December. So over starting basically December 16th until like the day or two after New Year's. We take a week off during Passover and Easter because that also falls during spring break for if you're a parent and you've that way you can actually be present with your children during that time. Yes. And then two weeks in late August. So the last two weeks of uh, last week of August, first week of September to align with Labor Day. And I it does for me as a founder and any of your listeners as founders, give yourself that gift if you can. Because when your team's not working, when really not working, not like one or two days off, when the entire team is closed for two weeks, you got to take a good hard look in the mirror if you're forcing yourself to look. You got to be like, am I a maniacal workaholic? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
if no one else is working, nobody, <laughs> and you're still grinding, you got to ask yourself some real personal questions. It does. It's, yes. a, it's the best thing for yourself as a founder to give yourself also the peace of mind, knowing that when you're off, your team isn't working. Because that that also weighs on you, right? Is if your team's go, doing moving the company forward and you're not there, for me, that gives me a lot of anxiety. I struggle to be present on vacation when I know my team is working. So we all Same. get to have the grace of peace of mind. Everyone I gets love to have- it. Yeah. I love it. I think everyone should consider this. I, yeah. I'm thinking of like with e-commerce, like there's certain industries where I'm like, oh my God, what would happen? And yeah. I think usually the answer is nothing. <laughs> like things would just keep going. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, I think it's so, so powerful. You know, there's most people, I mean, we I get the question a lot, like, what do you do about your clients? What do you do about... Yeah product sales and things that like, what do you do during that window of time? And I'm like, when you're honest and you're like, Hey, we're taking a holiday break. The team needs to reset. I've never had a client be like, I don't want to work with you. They're like, wow, yeah. I- <laughs> you're done. Yeah. They're not like, Oh, you respect yourself. Like, fuck, I don't want to work. <laughs> They're, they don't, no one responds that way. And if they do respond that way, then I don't want to work with them. No. Oh, Everyone is so receptive. The response is 99% of the time, damn, I wish my company did this. Yes. Maybe I should think about implementing this into my business. And we don't do it on a whim. Everyone gets months and months notice and we structure the business so that our clients are totally prepared for that time off. So it's doable. I really think even with e-commerce, like you can find an outsourced team who's another company to cover any emergency orders. Or I've... I, when you order from Etsy, you wait weeks to get your shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So true. I do think this culture of like everything has to happen now is so anxiety inducing. Like, oh, God. oh my gosh, we all just need to chill out. <laughs> it's unnecessary too. It's, it's like, you can't help but ask yourself. I mean, sure, there are things that you can say, I need now. I understand medical attention, medical attention, honestly, anything related to children, pets, totally get the demand of these t- grocery. Like while I don't need my groceries, like you can get your groceries in 30 seconds. I'm like, I can wait 10 minutes. It's okay. Like I don't yeah. need that. <laughs> I mean, but I also still understand the demand. Yeah. Industries like, do I need this crop top tomorrow? No, I don't. I really don't. And if I do, then like I should go out into a store and support a local business and buy one. But that like I need it now, I think is also leads to, if it's not of the industries that we just mentioned, I think it leads to a lot of um, mental health problems in this country. Yes. Because it prevents us from actually talking to other people, leaving our homes, engaging in conversation, moving our bodies. Bilateral stimulation is very real. Like when you are having a tough time, there's a reason why a doctor will tell you to go on a walk. Yes. The less we do those things because of this, I need it now culture, the more harmful I think it is to like us as humans. Yeah. And those practices, they're not just like to check it off the list. Like they really do help. And I know you meditate and you journal and you do have these practices that help you, which I do as well. And they are game changing. If you're listening, try them. What's your favorite practice? I have to meditate. And I also have certain things that I make. For example, like if I don't meditate, which I generally don't want to meditate when I wake up, even though I feel so good after, 
then I can't have coffee. So I like set up these certain things where I'm like, I'll mentally be like, no, but I have to have coffee. So I have to just sit and meditate. And you know, that's a big one. And moving, I have to move my body because I tend to sit in my office for so long and I'm guilty of not eating lunch and not moving. So I'll just be like, you need to go on a walk. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. Okay, so Madison, this has been amazing. You are incredible. These are great questions. I have one more question for you though, before you go, which is what would be your number one piece of advice for a woman who wants to start her own business? What would be my number one piece of advice when it starts your own business? That the freedom you feel and the autonomy you feel when you've built something yourself helps challenge any societal doubt for women of what we're capable of. And you deserve that grace. You deserve that feeling because it's very hard to be a woman in this world. And there's nothing more empowering than doing something for yourself and realizing that all of those stigmas and expectations that are put on us that put us down are false. You deserve it. That is like the best. It's in, I mean, you know, too, it is so rewarding as a woman to succeed and do something for yourself because you just, it just challenges anything that tells you you can't. So, yes, so good. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so honored to have you. Your perspective is just so inspiring. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. And I'm really, I really do appreciate the thoughtfulness of the questions and your research and the homework that you did like that. Thank you. I'm I'm genuinely so appreciative of that. You're a phenomenal interviewer. Yeah. No, I've been an interviewer. I'm like, do you even know my name? You know what I mean? They're like, like, hey, Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, who? Who is this? I'm like, wow. So I so appreciate you doing all that homework. It's so nice. Of course. No, I mean, this is like, I am so curious about people and I, I love this. Like this lights me up. So no, thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.